Covenant, how are you this morning? That, that was a little sleepy. Let's try that again. Grace Covenant, how are you this morning? It is a beautiful day. Oh, what a beautiful day. Um, I am still getting used to the fact that it is sunny every day here in Denver. Um, I don't know if I'll ever get used to that fact. I'm used to months upon months of clouds and snow and rain and dreary weather. So I am just uh, loving uh, God's blessing of sunshine here in Denver. Although I do have to admit one thing, and you may think I'm a little weird because of this. I think it was uh, Wednesday or Thursday last week. I woke up, uh, got in my car, turned on the ignition, and the temperature gauge in the car said 13 degrees. And I was like, yes, it feels like home. Uh, Jared can relate to me a little bit on that. Uh, he's from South Dakota. So that Midwest cold feel, I, I actually enjoyed that for a little bit this week. And then I remembered, oh, it can actually get to 50 degrees here in Denver. So I am super excited to be preaching God's word with you this morning. And this morning we are continuing our series in Ephesians. And the series in Ephesians that we are in is entitled Chosen. Chosen, following the God who is for us. So God chooses us uh, through his grace, through his love, through his mercy. And then we are looking at how do we respond to that love, to that grace, to that mercy, to that forgiveness in our lives. Last week we looked at chosen for praise, Ephesians 1. So last week we looked at Paul's great doxology in Ephesians 1 and, and our response to God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness is that we are to praise him above all other things, that he is the thing, he is on the throne, he is the one that we are to worship above all all other things. And this week, we are getting into Ephesians chapter 2 and looking at God's grace, God's grace. But before we get into scripture and before we look at Ephesians chapter 2, I just have a couple of quick announcements that I want to reiterate uh, from what Pastor Nathan had in his video. The first one is we have small groups available to you here at Grace Covenant. I do not want Grace Covenant to just be a family on Sundays. I want Grace Covenant to be a family throughout the week, meeting together in homes and, and praying together, living life together, looking at scripture together. So there is a sign-up sheet, or not a sign-up sheet, a sheet of uh, small groups in the back on the, the welcome table. Uh, feel free to pick that up. And I would love for you to attend a small group over the course of the coming months. I go to men's group on Saturday mornings. Men's group is at 7 a.m. sharp, or if you're me, 7.20 a.m. sharp. I need that extra 20 minutes of beauty sleep. Um, or I think I'm not quite Christ-like until 7.20 in the morning. It's one of the two. And then the second thing that I wanted to reiterate from the announcements that Nathan shared is volunteers. And I would love for us to continue to be a church that is volunteering throughout the week. We have so many great volunteers in this church that sacrifice and give up their time throughout the week 
and would love, love, love uh, to have more because this does not happen without volunteers. I stand up here and preach, but that's about all I do. So we need volunteers here in this church to get um, everything running throughout the course of the week, whether it's children's church on Sunday, sound and media in the back. Uh, we would love to have more life group leaders and small group leaders. Come talk to me if you want to be a life group or small group leader. Um, there are so many opportunities. Call the office if you are looking for a chance to plug in. And another thing is for volunteers, I don't want you to volunteer because I'm telling you to volunteer. I want you to volunteer because you have a heart for service and you have a heart for giving back to this community. So over the course of the next few weeks, uh, be in prayer about where can you use your gifts, your talents, your skills. It can be an ongoing or maybe it's just once in a while that you have time to volunteer for this church. And finally, my last announcement is we have an annual meeting coming up in two weeks. How many of you get really, really excited for business meetings? <laughs> That's more than I thought. So we have packets for the annual meeting and end of your packets in the back that have all of the ministry reports. Um, and make sure you grab those. If you have any questions about the budget or any questions about what's in those packets, feel free to email me or talk to a leadership team member or call our office. We would love to get all of the questions out of the way before the annual meeting so that we can eat, have the annual meeting, and then uh, make that annual meeting as efficient as possible. And one thing I want to say is we will be voting on uh, the permanent kind of uh, leadership team model at that annual meeting. So we have had a trial period of that uh, leadership team model over the course of the past year. Um, obviously, my first Sunday was last Sunday, so I did not participate in that leadership team model over the course of the year. But one thing I do want to say um, from encouragement, and I hope this is as objective as I can be, but that leadership team model has worked really, 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 really well and has allowed the church to be in the position that it is financially and just um, stepping into this new era. So I am very much in favor of that leadership team model, and I, I'm prayerful that as we discuss that at the annual meeting, that it can be voted in uh, permanently. So that's one of the things on the agenda. Approval of the, uh, of the budget, the 2020 budget, is on the agenda. And again, if you have any questions about anything that's in that packet, please feel free to email me, talk to a leadership team member, or um, call our office. All right, that is it for announcements. I am going to pray, and then we will dig into Ephesians, the second chapter. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, let us still our hearts, and let us still our minds, and receive your love, your grace. And may we prepare our hearts for the stirring of your spirit as we dig into your word this morning. God, may your spirit be present and active in our hearts and minds, continually transforming us 
into likeness of you. God, I pray that these words would be your words and not my own. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, guide us and lead us more and more into your grace. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And everyone at Grace Covenant said, Amen. Amen. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn with me into Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible um, around your seat. And one of the things that was suggested to me after last Sunday, especially if I am encouraging you to bring your Bibles to church, that I should mention where Ephesians chapter 2 is in the Bible. Because if you're like me, I have uh, a graduate degree in theology, but sometimes even I need to use the table of contents to find books, especially Habakkuk. I never know where Habakkuk is. That's an Old Testament prophet book. But if you are new and if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, that is okay, because sometimes I'm unfamiliar with where things are at in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, Ephesians, uh, you open that up and you'll hit the New Testament, Matthew, then you'll get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll go through Romans, you'll go through the Corinthians, and then there's Galatians, and then after Galatians, as you're flipping through your Bible, you will find Ephesians, and we are in Ephesians chapter 2. And this week, we are looking at chosen for grace. God chooses us for grace. What is grace? What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor and kindness towards us. Unmerited, meaning that we did not win God's grace. We did not achieve God's grace. We did not earn God's grace. God's grace is unmerited, and it's his favor and kindness towards us, and it is a huge part of God's character, a huge part of who God is. And oh, brothers and sisters, is God's grace amazing. Oh, is it amazing. One of my flaws, one of my sins is I love superlatives, and I love calling things amazing or great or wonderful. Yesterday, as I was printing off these sermon notes, I actually, this is a true story, I sent a snap, a video snap to my fiance Emily as the printer was working and I sent that snap and I said, babe, is that not amazing that the printer is actually working? Amazing, just like Jesus. And, uh, and Emily being the much more holier uh, part of our partnership and couple said, Tyler, I think that's a little demeaning to Jesus to call the printer amazing like Jesus. So I have the bad habit of using superlatives, but God's grace is worth every superlative that we can throw at it. Every superlative that we can throw at it. Amazing, wonderful, awesome. That is God's grace. And as we look into Ephesians chapter 2, the big question, the big thought that I want us to think about as we look at God's grace this morning is will we consume or will we follow? 
Will we consume or will we follow? Will we consume God's grace or will we follow that grace back to its source, back to the Savior, back to the Creator? As I was thinking of this question, I was again thinking of my relationship with Emily. And how many of you have ever been in a relationship where it seems like you're always the one giving love and the other person is always the one consuming that love? It can be a friendship. It can be parenting. It can be in a romantic relationship. Sometimes in life, Relationships can be very one-sided, where the giver gives and gives and gives, and all, of, all the other person does is consume that love. And I have a confession to make. I can sometimes be a very insecure individual personally. And in my relationship with Emily, oftentimes, pray for her, oftentimes she is the one that is giving, 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 giving that love. And I am just sitting here consuming that love, saying, Emily, yes, give me more love. Give me more affirmation. Uh, Think of me more. Give me more time. Spend more time with me. And I am just consuming that love. And I am failing to look back and following back to the source of that love which is Emily. And the same thing happens in our relationship with God. The same thing happens in our relationship with Christ. Yes, it is amazing that God gives us grace. Yes, it is amazing that God loves us. But sometimes in my own life, I see myself just consuming that love, that grace, that mercy and forgiveness, and forgetting to follow that back to the source, forgetting to honor and follow the one who is giving me that love. It's not a relationship if I'm just a consumer. It's not a relationship if I'm just a consumer. In appreciation, in gratefulness, out of God's love and grace, towards me, I have to follow him. I have to submit to him. And I have to live in obedience to his laws and his commandments. So again, the big question this morning is, will we consume or will we follow? Join me in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And when he talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air, he is talking about Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'll stop there. I'm going to talk about something that isn't very popular in today's society. Because to understand God's saving grace, to understand God's amazing grace. We must understand sin. We must understand sin. We must understand that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We must understand that without God's saving grace, we would do everything and anything to confront God instead of follow God. Without God's saving grace, we would follow the ways of the world. We would gratify the desires of our flesh. And what's very hard for people to understand, for me to understand, because I hate this, we are deserving of wrath. We are deserving of wrath. And if there's one thing that I could pull from the Bible, it's that. I don't want to be deserving of wrath. I don't want you to be deserving of wrath. But it is our natural state. We are sinners saved by grace but we can never forget that we were once sinners and still are sinners. God is a holy God. God is a just God. And yes, God is a loving God. But we can't separate God's love and justice. We can't separate God's love and wrath. Because if we do, God is not loving if we have a God that doesn't care about injustice, doesn't care about war, doesn't care about those who are in abusive situations, that is not love. God is a God of justice and wrath because God is a God of love. God is a God of justice and wrath because God is a God of justice and love. Why, brothers and sisters, do we often minimize sin? Why do I minimize sin in my own life? One of the reasons is because sin is really, really, really fun and pleasurable. Sin is really fun and pleasurable, and for the moment, it can seem to benefit us because we're an instant gratification society. We're an instant gratification 
culture. We look at what we are getting now, but fail to look at the consequences later. One of the best examples I can think of this is from my own life. When I was uh, in my early years as an undergraduate in college, I abused prescription pain pills. They felt good. They were wonderful. They helped me get straight A's because of the high. I wasn't thinking about all of the, the bad things that were going on in my life. I could just focus on class. I felt great taking those pills. Sin feels great when we're partaking in sin. But the consequences of me continuing to take those pills, broken relationships, and ultimately a broken body. The consequences of us continuing in sin, broken relationships, broken bodies, and broken communities. We love to glorify the flesh. We love to glorify ourselves because we are selfish. I am selfish. But we fail to look at the consequences. And sin becomes true and we become more aware of it when we recognize that it's not about us. When we recognize how our sin not only impacts other people, but how our sin impacts God. God is a holy God. God is a holy God, and nothing that is sinful can come before his sight. Nothing that is sinful can come before his presence. And that's why we needed Jesus. Another reason we minimize sin in this society, and I minimize it in my own life, is because we look at human potential. We look at human potential. And we think that Christ died on the cross not so that we needed to repent, but so that he can help us gain and raise ourselves to that full potential. We think Christ died on the cross so that we could have all of the earthly things that we desire. He's there to help us out, but he's not our savior. John Stott has this great quote, and he says, either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his judgment, and if left to themselves lost, and that Christ crucified, who bore their sin and cursed, is the only available Savior, or we emphasize human potential and human ability, with Christ brought in only to boost them, and with no necessity for the cross except to exhibit God's love and to inspire us to greater endeavor. The former is the way to be faithful. The latter is the way to be popular. It is not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. So God is either a great inspiration or he is savior. Brothers and sisters, God is not a self-help God. God is not a boost my ego God. God is not a give me my best life God. 
God is a God that requires sacrifice. God is a God that requires me to die to myself, to die to my sins, to die to my former way of life, and to live in him and for him and in mission for his kingdom. God is not a God that is just there to give us our best lives. God is a God that asks us to give us, give him our lives. But hear me clearly. Many of us, before we receive the grace of our Savior, or maybe you are here still searching for that grace, many of us, were low. Many of us felt unworthy. Many of us still feel unworthy. Yes, I want God's grace to empower you. Yes, I want God's grace to inspire you. Yes, I want you to live in God's grace. And I want God's grace to lift you up but I don't want God's grace just to lift you up to earth level so that you're only consuming the things of the earth. I want God's grace to lift you so high that you know that you are worthy to be with God in the heavens. Follow God back, or follow God's grace back to its source. Follow God's grace back to its source. Let it lift you up, not just so that you are popular with your friends, not just so that you are popular in this world, not just so that you can consume the things of this world, but let it lift you up to the heavens. Let it give you a worth that is truly in Christ. Christ, as I said last week, is our geography. Don't settle for the earth when heaven can be thrown in. Don't settle for the things of this earth when eternity can be thrown in. Oh, brothers and sisters, God is so much more. God is so much more. God's grace conquers sin. Sin does not have the final word. And when we minimize our sin, when we minimize God's saving grace, God's amazing grace, we are minimizing God. When we minimize sin, we minimize God. When we minimize God's grace, we minimize God's love. Oh, there's hope. Rick Warren writes that God specializes God specializes in giving people a fresh start. I've just talked about sin, but the great thing about God's grace, the great thing about God's grace is regardless of your past, regardless of what sin you are currently living in, regardless of what other people think of you, regardless of what your family thinks of you, regardless of what your friends think of you, regardless of what your co-workers think of you, there is always the opportunity for a fresh start 
with God. There's always an opportunity daily to turn towards God and receive that grace. What other people think of you is not the final word. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day because we get to live in God's grace. And I have a difficult time with God's grace. I have a difficult time with God's grace. And there's two reasons I have a difficult time with God's grace. One, I think it's unavailable to me. I think it's unavailable to me. And some of you may have that same thought, that what you've done in the past, or the way you are living now, you don't think that God could possibly love you. You don't think that God could possibly be grace-filled towards you. That is a lie. Regardless of what's been done in the past, regardless of where you are living in your life currently, God's grace is always, always available to you. And the second thing, and these are kind of two opposite poles, the second thing that I also get in trouble with is sometimes I don't think I need God's grace. I'm perfect, holy, and just. And I don't need God's grace. I, I'm living a just life. I am uh, helping the poor. I am giving offering to the church. I am doing all of these good things to benefit society and benefit other people. I don't need God's grace. I am a morally good person. Why do I need God's grace? Because when I look at my life, I'm really not as great as I think I am. When we look at our lives, we really aren't as great as we think we are. We need God's grace. Uh, Jerry Bridges writes, your worst days, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days, your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. We are never beyond the reach of God's grace and we are never beyond the need of God's grace. We need both and we need to remember both depending on where we are at grace covenant in our lives. We are never beyond his reach and we will always, 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 always need God's grace because we cannot earn it. We cannot achieve it. We cannot win it. It is freely given out of God's character. Moving on in Ephesians, I'm now going to read verses 11 through 22. Now that we've talked about God's grace, Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly, you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to just give a brief explanation of that paragraph. Paul is writing to Gentiles. And in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Israel, uh, God commanded Israel to be a light to the nation, the Abrahamic covenant. God commanded Israel to be a light to the nations. But in the old covenant, how people became a light, how people were drawn into God's favor and God's blessing is that they had to become part of Israel. They had to become uh, a Jew. They had to be circumcised in the old covenant. Now, Paul is writing to Gentiles and saying that has kind of been reversed in Christ Jesus. Instead of you coming into the circumcision, instead of you coming into the Jewish mold, we are going out to you in Christ's love, in Christ's grace, in Christ's forgiveness. That is extended out towards you. So it is a reversal of what had been the case. In God's grace, in God's mercy, God is reaching out to the Gentiles and wanting them not to be circumcised, but wanting them to come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. Moving on in verse 14. For Christ himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. God's grace, brothers and sisters, is not for me alone. God's grace, brothers and sisters, is not for you alone. Faith is not an individual relationship between us and Christ. It is a relationship between us and Christ and other members of the body being built together so that we together, who are the stones of this house that are being built with Christ as the chief cornerstone, can be a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, the church us. The church is a place where barriers are destroyed. The church is a place where barriers are destroyed. Klein Snodgrass, my professor back at North Park, writes that the cross is the place where barriers are destroyed. 
before the cross, we know our own sin and we cannot stand there without realizing all of us are without defense and have no claim on God. No one has higher value than anyone else. The ground at the cross is level. Any standing we have is God-given, not something that inherently makes us better than others. Any standing we have, any worth that we have is God-given. God does not care about the color of our skin. God does not care about what language we speak. God does not care about how much money is in our 401k. God does not care who comes into the walls of the church. At the cross, barriers are destroyed. We are equal. And as we reach out to people in this community and in this area, let us remember that we didn't earn God's grace and nobody else has to either. We didn't earn God's grace, nobody else has to. Let us live towards others with that attitude. The church is also a place where all people have access. All people have access. That doesn't mean everyone's going to accept that access or live in that access, but all people, due to barriers being broken down, have access to the church and have access to God. And because of those first two, through God's spirit and grace, we have unity in our diversity. We have unity in our diversity. We are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. The Holy Spirit makes us unified. In that unity, we have the same purpose, the same Lord, the same Savior. But in diversity, that means we look different. That means we have different personalities. That means we might have different political beliefs. But we have the same Lord, the same Savior. And together, we have the same purpose, to glorify him and honor him and serve him and follow him. And God's grace gives us the ability to do that because with God's grace, we're not thinking about our own agenda. We're thinking about God's agenda. And I want us to be a church that together lives for God's agenda, not mine. And then finally, we are being built together into a dwelling place. We are being built together into a dwelling place. And that is what separates church from any other nonprofit organization. We are being built in, into a dwelling place for who? We are being built into a dwelling place for the power of the Holy Spirit, for the power that raised Christ up from the dead. 
We aren't just being built into a dwelling place to go out and serve people, although that's one of the reasons we are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And that should change how we think of ourselves. That should change how we honor our bodies and each other. That should change how we communicate and love one another. That should change the reverence that we give to each other and to God and to the church. Grace Covenant is not just another community organization. Grace Covenant is a dwelling place of the power and majesty of the Holy Spirit. God with us. And this type of church, this type of church where barriers are destroyed, where all people have access, where we have unity in diversity, and where, and where we are being built together as a dwelling place. This type of church is not possible if we are consumers. It is not possible if we are consumers. Because if we are consumers, that becomes all about us. If I consume all of Emily's love and don't give anything back, that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. Grace, in a sense, cost us nothing. It cost God everything. It cost God his son to die for our sin so that we would no longer be dead in our transgressions. God's grace cost us nothing, cost God everything. But in another way, God's grace costs us everything. Because in receiving God's grace, we lose our lives. In receiving God's grace, we lose ourselves. And we live in Christ. We live not for the ways of the world. We live not to gratify the flesh. We live not to build our own kingdom. But we live for him and for his kingdom. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he writes, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much 
cannot be cheap for us. I want to say that again. What costs God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. It is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pray for to pay for us. I want to close with this. Will we consume or will we follow? Will we follow that grace back to its source? Will we follow that grace back to God, back to our Savior? Or will we just store it up in our hearts? Will we just think that it's for us to live a good life, for us to fulfill our desires and to fulfill our wants and our needs? Or will we see that grace as a call to discipleship, a call to follow the one who gives us that grace? Let me say it again. God is not a self-help God. God is not a boost my ego God. God is a God of love, justice, and righteousness who calls us to die to ourselves and to live in him. Let God's grace lift you up, not just to earthly level, but to lift you up into the heavens so that we can serve with him and with each other and be the church where barriers are broken down. Be the church where all people have access and be the church that extends that grace that we have received to others so that all may come to know Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus Christ as Savior. And so that all may come to know that it's his kingdom, his earth, his community, his church, his Tyler. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you again for the reminder of your grace, of your mercy, of your kindness. Father God, we did not earn your grace. By definition, we did not earn your grace. It is unmerited. Thank you for lifting us up. Thank you for giving us worth. Thank you for giving us new life. God, may we be people and may we be a church that doesn't follow the ways of the world, that doesn't follow the ways that cause us to be dead in our transgressions and sins. But let us be a church invigorated and excited with new life, individually and corporately, new life in you so that we may bring new life and restored life to this community and to this world. Oh, it is a beautiful day, God, because of your grace. Oh, it is a beautiful day, God, because our sins are forgiven. Oh, it is a beautiful day, God, because we are lifted up with you and we get to live our lives in Christ 
Help us to remember that. Help us to live in that. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we continually be transformed into people of grace who follow that grace back to its source and live in and for you. In the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, I pray. Amen.